Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one decisive page of Talmud each day. And on today's page, Bava Kama 12, we stumble across a curious phrase. The rabbis are discussing the legal status of slaves. They want to know if we should treat slaves from a strict property perspective the same way we treat, say, land. No, they answer. It's obvious because slaves aren't the same as real estate. They're movable property, if anything, which, as you can imagine, opens up all sorts of questions. Here, have a listen. Rather, the Talmud says, what have you to say? Perforce, movable property that moves around by itself, such as slaves, is different from movable property that does not move around by itself, i.e. inanimate objects. The halacha that movable property does not need to be piled up upon the land applies only to the latter. Accordingly, in order to acquire slaves together with land, they must be standing within its borders. Given this distinction, one can say that here also an entity legally classified as land that moves around, such as a slave, is different from land that does not move around. Accordingly, a slave, which is classified as land that moves around, is not included in Shmuel's ruling. As in his ruling there, he refers only to acquiring multiple plots of land, which is possible only because the crust of the earth is one block, and therefore each field is really only one part of the bigger whole, and so on and so forth. Now, let's put aside for a moment all these complications uh, of the exact halacha. Let's also for a moment, put aside the strong moral revulsion we feel today at the mention of slavery, never an easy thing to do when reading about these issues in the Talmud, and focus instead on this incredible bit of coinage we just learned. Land that moves around. The rabbis came up with it to resolve very specific questions of profit and liability. And the same questions alas, are still very relevant to us today because we've 70.4 million Americans these days who work as freelancers in the so-called gig economy. Are they independent, happy, well-earning individuals? Are freelancers really free? Or are they like land that moves around, a generative and fertile soil lugged around from place to place by the true owners, those who control the platforms? and keep most of the profit to themselves? The answer, sadly, is very far from clear-cut. On the one hand, gig economy workers continuously report feeling overall pretty satisfied by being able to make their own hours, and they say it's a relief to simply log on to an app, find customers willing to pay for your services, and receive compensation immediately and effortlessly. On the other hand, treating people like land that moves around generates immense issues of trust. A recent European Union report, for example, found that too often the platforms that govern the gig economy, your Ubers and Airbnbs, are very vague in terms of just who's responsible for what if something goes wrong, which means that when issues like coverage and liability arise, consumers and providers alike feel screwed. Both are also increasingly aware of how easy it is to game the system. When you know anyone can tarnish or boost a restaurant's reputation, say, merely by posting scores of negative or positive reviews, you stop taking the star ranking system seriously. 
And when the ranking system no longer matters, basic trust in the platform erodes. And trust, sadly, is everywhere in short supply these days. Earlier this year, professors from the University of New Hampshire conducted research and found that while traditional employees expected to trust and be trusted by their colleagues and took each breach of trust really seriously, which in turn sometimes impacted their work, gig economy workers never expected any trust to begin with. When altercations with colleagues or superiors occurred, they were really quite adept at getting back to work sooner because they're far less emotional about these tips. They really just didn't care. On the other hand, they felt no real sense of loyalty either. No loyalty to company, no loyalty to product, no loyalty to the customer. It hardly takes a Talmudic scholar to realize that that is the opposite of what the rabbis had in mind. Their attempts to determine the precise value of everything stemmed from their desire to make sure everyone is treated fairly and everyone trusts the system, trusts each other, and trusts in a fair outcome. Mess with that, and you have a society that's slowly sinking, devoid of the one essential component that keeps it afloat. Here's hoping, then, that the gig will soon be up and that we'll stop treating each other like land that moves around and learn to trust each other again and soon. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, then you are really going to love the new book just published by me. It's called How the Talmud Can Change Your Life, Surprisingly Modern Advice from a Very Old Book. You can order it now at your local bookstore or directly from the publisher through the link in this here podcast description or through that big online store whose logo is, you know, a smile. As always, please go rate and review Take One on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You could get your Take One t-shirts and mugs and other swag at tabletstudios.com and you could subscribe to our weekly newsletter at tabletm.ag slash take one newsletter. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Robert Scaramucci, Courtney Hazlett, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic. Talmudic.